Hey, folks, if you've been listening to our show, you've probably heard Victor talk about Hillsdale College. It's one of the few colleges in the U.S. still interested in teaching truth. What you probably didn't know is that they have over 40 free online courses. And Victor is one of the professors in three of those courses, American Citizenship and its Decline, based on Victor's book, The Dying Citizen, How Progressive Elites, Tribalism, and Globalization Are Destroying the Idea of America, The Second World Wars, based on his book by the same name, and Athens and Sparta, partly based on his book, A War Like No Other, How the Athenians and Spartans Fought the Peloponnesian War. Don't you wish Victor would have been one of your professors in college? Well, now you can join him as he covers some of the main ideas of his books with Hillsdale College's online courses, all available for free. That's right, for free. The courses are seven to nine episodes long, and they are self-spaced, so you can take them whenever and wherever. I think I'm going to start with American Citizenship and Its Decline, where Victor explores the history of citizenship in the West and the threats it faces today. Threats like the erosion of the middle class, the disappearance of our borders, the growth of an unaccountable deep state, and the rise of globalist organizations. Hey, start your free course with Victor Davis Hansen today. Go right now to hillsdale.edu slash vdh to start. It's free and it's easy to get started. That's hillsdale.edu slash vdh to start. hillsdale.edu slash vdh. <laughs> Hello, ladies. Hello, gentlemen. This is the Victor Davis Hanson Show. I'm uh, Jack Fowler, the host. Victor is the star and the namesake. He is the Martin and Ely Anderson Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution and the Wayne and Marsha Buskey Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. So much of what Victor does, practically everything of what Victor does, can be found at his website, victorhanson.com, and I'll tell you more about that later. We are recording right now on Easter Monday. It's the 18th of April, not in 75, but in 2022. We all remember, well, I don't know who remembers this anymore, Victor. It's interesting when Longfellow wrote what was once upon a time a famous poem that hardly a man is now alive who remembers that famous day and year, which Paul Revere and, and Dawes, one by land, two by sea road, off to warn the Middlesex farmers of the encroaching Brits, redcoats. It's the day that, you know, the revolution began. I think this is forgotten on most people. But we'll talk about that a little later, maybe when we talk about some new writing by uh, Ibram Kendi, which is tacking whites for grooming other whites to be racist. And we'll get to that after we speak about Al Sharpton, who has some really tough criticisms of Democrats and how they're going to blow it in November and how they are aloof to the needs of black citizens, plus a lot more. And we're going to get to Sharpton and Kendi and other things right after these important messages. Can't pay the IRS? Haven't filed in a while? Receiving threatening letters? Yeah. 
it's about to get worse. The IRS is hiring an army of agents targeting hardworking Americans like you. You need warriors on your side. You need Tax Network USA. Tax Network USA has brilliant strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. For instance, they've discovered a limited-time special offer that the IRS is willing to waive $1 billion in penalties. Find out if you qualify before it's too late. Never call the IRS alone. Let Tax Network USA attorneys handle it. They have preferred direct lines to the IRS. They know which agents to work with and which to avoid. They've resolved over $1 billion in tax debts and offer a best-in-class guarantee. Schedule your free consultation now. Call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit TNUSA.com slash Victor. TNUSA.com slash Victor. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors Fresh, Never Frozen Meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine. What are you waiting for? For our listeners, Factor is giving you 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month when you use the promo code VICTOR50 at factormeals.com slash VICTOR50. Choose from six menu preferences to help you manage calories, maximize protein intake, avoid meat, or simply eat well-balanced. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Remember, to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month, head to factormeals.com slash Victor50, that's V-I-C-T-O-R-5-0, and use the code Victor50, that's code Victor50, at factormeals.com slash Victor50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson show. Victor, I hope you and Mrs. Hanson had a wonderful Easter. I want to encourage our listeners to catch, by the way, a podcast you did with Sammy Wink this past weekend, where you talk at some length about the gospel of St. John. I think people will be very interested in that. Another another great Christian apostle, Al Sharpton, uh, Victor, he was on Morning Joe last week. And let me just read a little bit here. Here's what Joe Scarborough, my pal, said to Sharpton. Let me say it slowly for my Democrat friends in Washington, D.C. Black voters are more conservative than you are, white woke leaders in Washington, D.C. Hispanic voters are more conservative than you are, white woke leaders in Washington, D.C. Asian-American voters are more conservative than you are. They're more conservative on crime, more conservative on education, more conservative on these woke issues. So then Al was Sharpton's guest. Here's what Al Sharpton had to say, jumping in following Scarborough's comments. They're losing people of color because they really don't get the people of color's life. 
If you're living in a city in a neighborhood that is inundated with crime and you act like that's not an issue, you've already lost me. That is an issue, Sharpton said. You cannot ignore when 12-year-old kids who somebody's niece and neighbor is killed and you act like this is a non-issue because you're too elitist to live on the ground. We don't want to be manipulated by right-wing elitist billionaires or by left-wing guys that don't understand our life on the ground, that is living in fear of crime, that is living as a result of inflation that is killing us in many parts of the country. We need gas to go to work. And finally, these Beltway elitists, these limousine liberals here in New York don't live in the real world, and Blacks have to, and Browns have to deal with the real world every day. We don't sit in crowded subways reading left-wing or right-wing propaganda, he added. So, you know, Victor, I thought that was interesting and certainly a cry that uh, that forthcoming November elections are going to be an epic disaster for Democrats. So I'm going to shut up, Victor, and you please share your thoughts on the Reverend Al's warning. You left these speeches. Uh, so spoke the black activist Zarathusa, huh? the guy that we know from the Crown Heights riot and the Freddie, was it Freddie Fashion Mart? So we know what yes. Al Sharpton has done. He's demagogued racial issues. And basically his original visions that he outlined during those riots and that led to death and mayhem in the 90s, and then all of his shakedown and accusations of racism that gave him exemptions from everything to the IRS, to homophobia that he's expressed, and always pushing the Obama administration to go further to the left. He got what he wanted. So this is just another manifestation, Jack, of the Democratic House, the Democratic Senate, the Democratic presidency, the Democratic courts getting what they want. And they got what they want. And the chaos that they created, they don't care because it always had traditionally affected other people. Now it's affecting him. There have been 7,000 murders in Chicago pretty much year in and year out. But why is Al Sharpton suddenly worried about the inner city in the sense that he he wants tougher police enforcement? This is a guy whose entire life, anytime there was a controversy about police, he flew on the first flight there to demagogue the entire issue. The reason he's worried is, and he's expressing that it's affecting him now. If he goes into a store, everything is locked up. When you go into a wall, anywhere in California, you go into Walgreens or Rite Aid, it, it looks like a prison pharmacy. Everything is locked up that you need. And when they're, you know, they're, they're breaking and entering, they being inner city criminals, and they're following what Al Sharpton's friends that are mega, mega, mega wealthy celebrities, rappers, et cetera, in Beverly Hills or Pacific Palisades or Malibu home, if they see their driving a particular type of car, they try to rob them or carjack them. Then he feels, my God, this is no longer a racial issue. This is an American issue. This is a class issue. And so he starts talking in terms of class, the wealthy elite. Well, welcome to the club, but you're about 30 years behind. And it's sort of like the arsonist that torches buildings. And then all of a sudden the flames spread to his house and he wants to know where the fire department is after he said that they were on need. It reminds me of, I said before, Crassus of ancient Rome, who made a fortune burning people's houses down and then showing up with his fire brigades and asking if they wanted to put it out or not. So we're over the tipping point now, Jack, when Al Sharpton says this. And by tipping point, I mean crime, hate crime, 
violent crime, any sort of crime that we calibrate is up. Salts are up, murders are up, rapes are up. And this is compounded by the fact that arrests are down, prosecutions are down, jail time. I think the person who shot up the mall a few days ago was already released on bail here in Los Angeles or San Francisco, and no need to comment. There is really no such thing as crime. There's being arrested. If 10% or 5% of violent crimes or property theft and say, San Francisco, you're arrested, and then you're not going to be charged commiserately with what the statute says, because it's a tenet of modern progressive leftism that the law is not the law, that a wiser, more morally superior DA or official can adjudicate and make the law. And that means let people out according to his own preferences. And what the result is that we have a Hobbesian war of everybody against everybody. And he knows that, Sharpton does. That's most of it. But there's also that his version of democratic politics has failed, and he knows he's never going to get back into the White House and make his 500 visits like he did with Obama. And he's going to be completely relegated to Jesse Jackson status because there's not going to be anybody elected in this next election that has real power that he supports. So there's not going to be a Speaker Pelosi anymore. There's not going to be a Jim Clyburn that basically is one of the most powerful men in the House. It's all going to be Republican. Probably the same is true of the Senate. And they have a rendezvous in 2024. He's going to be out in the proverbial political wilderness. And he knows it. And he also is smart. He always was bright. And he was empirical, even though he was an ideologue. And even though he didn't have a moral compass. But he does know that this issue that's being driven on the left is driven by the Silicon Valley, Malibu, DC media, corporate boardroom elite. And while they do have interest in racial issues, that what's driving them is mostly climate change, radical abortion, transgenderism, etc. And when that trickles down, to half of the African-American community that is not fully middle class, then what? It results in 750,000 to a million uh, black babies who are boarded. It boils down to, instead of to redefining civil rights, is not the historical claims on equity that African-Americans have, but that is being overshadowed by 0.3% of the population that is transgendered. And that seems to be the real issue with Hollywood and the Democratic Party and Silicon Valley. And of course, green issues mean if you're out here in Fresno County and you're Latino or an African-American, you're going to pay you know, $7 a gallon for your diesel semi. If you're a trucker or if you're a carpenter, you're going to pay, I don't know, $20 for a little two by four. So he... He knows that, that his party is at war with the middle class, especially the African-American middle and lower classes. So he doesn't know what to do about it. He bought into all of that. He bought into all of that. And all of these people got what they wanted. That's what's so ironic about this entire 15 months. These people told us again and again and again that the country was being wrecked the last four years prior to their ascension in power. We had a secure border. We had a deterrent foreign policy. We had no inflation. We were coming out of COVID. 
fewer people had died in the entire history of COVID than when Joe Biden took office to the present. We had energy self-sufficiency. We were not being bribed or leveraged by people we didn't that had energy. We didn't beg the Saudis. We didn't beg the Venezuelans. We did not beg the Russians. We didn't beg the Iranians. We were out of that crazy climate accord. We were out of the Iran deal. We had good relations with you know, our allies that counted. No better friend, no worse enemy. We were to neutrals. It was all there. And we focused on Trump's tweets. And now we know in retrospect, as we look at the evidence, what do we know? Mueller, 22 months of a complete hoax. It wasted two years of a presidency. What else do we know? Alpha Bank, complete hoax. John Durham is now flipping witnesses that will probably testify against Sussman. And maybe it'll go all the way up to Glenn Simpson and Hillary Clinton. We don't know. But they sabotaged the presidential campaign, lied, enlisted the CIA and the FBI to promulgate their lies. The entire FBI hierarchy has been cleansed. If you think of Andrew McCabe, Peter Strzok, Lisa Page, James Comey. So that's what we did. We took a very sound economic, social, political, military policy, and we wrecked it because the architect of that policy was at times crass and uncouth. I'm not excusing that, but compared to what we have now, this hurts people, what we're doing now. And by the way, one last final rant, Jack. When we say Trump tweeted and we say he was crude, it's true. But this man that's in power right now is not just simply non mentor. He is a mean SOB. He can't get up on that stage without shouting and screaming and lying and blaming people. Putin did this. Putin did this. Putin did this. It's not, it's not mine. It's not mine. It's not mine. And then you think, well, if it's not yours, why four months ago were you telling us it was transitory or a matter of not getting your exercise machines or, you know, a, a matter of the elite or Trump did it. So he doesn't tell the truth and he, he, he slurs people. Since he's been president, he's called an African-American high-ranking official boy. He uses the word Negro. That's now, you know, it, it has a certain connotation now that it didn't have perhaps maybe 10 years ago when blacks used it 20 or 30 or 40 years ago. So he's not a nice person. So we threw away somebody perceived not to be a nice person with a great program, and we got a person with a worse program and who was not as nice a person. And you tell me how that happened. I'm still trying to figure it out, but it had a yeah. lot to do with things like the Alpha Bank and the Russian collusion hoax and Hunter's laptop. Right. And people who don't want to be associated with other people. I don't want to be yeah. caught dead with these. You know, by the way, I want to talk about Kendi as we promised, but uh, since you brought up Biden, if you have a quick comment, Victor, he gave a speech last week. And another epic lie of, that he was a full-time professor at the University of Pennsylvania, where I, I looked up some, some analysis that he had actually been on the campus only nine times. Didn't he get like a $200,000 or more a year? Uh, I think cumul it was somewhere in, in total that was approaching 700,000. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, to 900,000. Yep, significant. And then also at the end of the speech, most recent speech where he was doing his yellow yelling and whispering, whatever act he ended it with the, with an air handshake to nobody there, which of course reinforces the, the wait, the fact the, checker uh, said it wasn't really a handshake. 
Oh, really? <laughs> I don't know. I, th- I thought he was talking to Corn Pop. Uh, it's time, funny but... how he's been reduced to irrelevancy because nobody rushed to help him when he wandered around there for a few seconds after his talk in the same manner that nobody rushed to involve him when Obama came. Remember, he was sort of like those parties you go do as a graduate student and all the professors are there and you're a graduate student and you're just sitting there. You can't involve yourself, but you see one sort of obsequious graduate student and he bumps like a billiard ball to each little circle and he's kept out. And then you look at him and he's sort of like in the fetal position and and hurt. That's the way Biden was. He kept trying to bounce into an Obama gathering and they didn't want him. He was president extent, you know, I think yeah. essentially the most powerful man in the world. Nobody wanted to talk to him. Nobody came up to his assistant. He's polling lower than Trump did. And I want everybody to think about that for a second. I mean, he's down to 34 in one poll and 40 in the average, the real clear politics. But remember something, the media hated Trump and the pollsters hated Trump. And we heard a drumbeat of scandal, 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 hate, hate, hate. It was Stormy Daniels, Alvinetti every day. The media loves the left. It is the left. They love Biden. And still, with all of that positive coverage and all of those massage polls, he's polling less than Trump. So I would suggest that, you know, take away a biased media and biased pollsters and just level the playing field. He's got about 20 percent real Right. Well, let's retool a little bit here. We were going to talk about some of these polls uh, a little later, but let's move it up front now. So two pieces came out last week that I saw that I wanted to share. One was that Mark Penn, who is a Democrat pollster who had been Hillary Clinton's pollster, gave some analysis. I think he's a Fox News analyst. I saw this in a Daily Mail piece. Bottom line, Democrats are going to be crushed in November and also that Biden himself has no chance of being reelected. So that's one thing. The second thing is the Quinnipiac poll that got some attention and uh, you didn't cite it, but I think this is what you in part were referring to. Here's how some of the numbers break down. 39% of Americans approve of Joe Biden's handling of the response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine, 48% disapprove. 33% approve of the way he is handling his job. 54% disapprove. That 33% number, his bottom where he was a few months earlier. How does it break down among parties? Biden's approval rate with Democrats is 76 to 12. With independents, it is 26 approved, 56% disapprove. And Republicans are 3% approved, 94% disapprove. So, Victor, we've talked about polls on previous podcasts. I think these numbers, there are no aberrations now. They're repeated. These are the reasons why the Al Sharpens of the world, who we talked about a little earlier, are saying, you know, there's a tsunami coming. Uh, Some other people want to look elsewhere. They don't want to look at the tsunami. They want to turn around, look in the other direction and preoccupy them, look up in the sky. We're going to talk about Kendi's up in the sky, things that some people are looking at. Anyway, Victor, any other thoughts about any of these polls? Yeah, what they're doing is so... Joe Biden is tied on the railroad track with ideological left-wing rope. And there's a big locomotive coming down. It's getting closer and closer. And he can't get out because he's got this rope on. So he's begging his captors, that is the hard left, the squad, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie, Pelosi, let me loose. And they're loosing it a little bit, Jack. They're saying, 
well, why don't you, it's okay, we won't go after you if you allow some new leases on federal oil land. So he's doing that now. And now they're panicking about the border because we're going to get a million people in this summer, right? And he's trying to figure out a way of, you know, having border patrol volunteers to come back. Or now there's people in Arizona, Democrats that are vulnerable, cinema, et cetera, these people, Kelly, that they want the protocol 42, policy 42, executive order 42, whatever you want to call it, and to keep in place. And that, remember, says that the president can issue instant deportations in a time of a pandemic, et cetera. So they're, they're starting to think, what is the least gesture? What is the most insignificant gesture? Because they're going to have, they're going to charge an arm and a leg for new oil leases. But what can we do when we're in this ideological straitjacket that's ruined the country and turned off everybody? And so we've got to come up with something. And one of them is, let's try the Iran deal. Another one is, let's have some new federal leases or um, let's cancel all student loans. This will be great. And then there's some old, you know, pro in the back of the room that says, you know, I told you not to do this stuff and it's too late now. The leases won't do anything. Well, let's let, let's open the strategic petroleum deserve and get a million. Well, that'll help a little bit, but it's a little late. And if you cancel student loans, there's going to be a lot of people mad at you because half those people made their payments. And then we got half the country that didn't go to college. And then we got the people with the biggest loans from medical school and business school and law school. So you're basically going to give an entitlement to wealthy white Asians and white people. And that's not going to go well with trying to win back poorer people. So they're thinking of all of these things they can do to salvage something. And yet they know they can't do it because they're not empiricists, they're ideologues, and they can't change. So they're trying to find, you know, insignificant symbolic gestures, anything to avoid this wipeout. And I think the next step is, as we get into the summer, they can't stop it, and they're going to be bailing. There's going to be people blaming Joe Biden. And you can already see it, Jack, the whole tenor of Hunter Biden's laptop is changed. Now it's Okay, we admit it was true. Yeah, we admit it made a difference in the thing. But, you know, let's just move on. And you're going to see things like, yeah, Joe Biden is impaired. And this whole Feinstein thing, Jack, about all of a sudden, my God, Jack, she's 80s Did you know that? I thought she was sharp as the tack during the Kavanaugh hearings. Right. She engineered that. That was just two to three years ago, three years ago. What? My God, I had no idea she was. Uh, suffering from dementia. We got to get rid of her. Let's see how we do it. This will be a good dry run for Joe Biden. Let's get it out and right. test it. We'll leak to this uh, news agency. We'll get this person to say off the record. We'll get this close, intimate staffer to go on background. Uh, we'll do all of this. We'll get some prominent senator and we'll sort of lie and do all of this. And if it works and we can pressure her out, then we'll try it on Jill Biden and Joe. And that's what they want to do. And I think their attitude now is we could go in at the end of the year with Kamala Harris. She's young. She's vibrant. We'll just not let her say a word. We'll just, you know, show her all around on Air Force One, smiling and a couple of platitudes. And that will be better than Joe Biden. He won't, yeah. you know. Yeah. She just says nonsense, but she doesn't say creepy nonsense. Well, it is creepy in a way, but 
It just yeah. doesn't make any sense. It just, yeah. It's just a word salad. Yeah, yeah, they call it a word salad or just mishmash. But he, he can't finish a sentence. He can't pronounce a word. He slurs his words. He's incoherent. And he always was a mean bully. And those traits have been accentuated by his cognitive impairment. Right. Well, we knew that. Hey, Victor, one other thing. There's a headline. Today's April 18th, by the way. We're recording on the 18th of April. Democrats have gone AWOL on their constituents. This is in the Washington Examiner. A recent check of Capitol Hill found that six Senate Democrat offices had signs posted out front announcing that no staffers work there in person. Another six Senate Democratic offices appeared closed with no staff to greet constituents at the front desk. Dozen of House Democrat offices appear similarly abandoned. At the height of COVID, these absences would have been understandable, but this sweep of Capitol came after Biden, Joe Biden said State of the Union address, it's time for Americans to get back to work and fill our great downtowns again. People working from home can feel safe to begin to return to the office. Last paragraph here of this piece. Apparently, Democrats staffers are still too frightened of COVID to show up for work again, or maybe they're just too lazy. And it's not just Capitol Hill staffers who aren't showing up for work. The state offices, Democrat Senators Catherine Cortez Masto in Nevada, Maggie Hassan in New Hampshire, and Mark Kelly in Arizona, are also still closed. Victor, I think they're all closed because they don't want to deal with the They don't want people. to deal with them. They don't want to deal with them. They can't deal with them. They wouldn't. What would they say to them? If they had a town hall, the border was really terrible until Joe Biden came in. And then when we stopped construction of the wall, we restarted catch and release. We told our communist friend, Mr. Obrador in Mexico, that we're partners. We put Kamala Harris as the czar. We have this wonderful Mallorca. We found a bunch of Border Patrol people we think were ripping innocents. And guess what? We got two million illegals coming across unvaccinated, on test in time of a pandemic smashing success. Then we took this, uh, you know, 12 million, 13 million barrels a day of oil scheduled to go up to 15 million barrels. We had all this natural gas we were going to import it. And you know what we did? We canceled that sucker, that Keystone. We put Anwar off. We stopped all new federal leases. We told banks, hedge funds, investment companies do not lend to these fossil fuel polluters, these awful frackers, these terrible people in North Dakota and Texas and Alaska. And then we, you know what we did? We would rather beg the Venezuelans, the Iranians, the Russians, the Saudis. There are people to pump more. And then we went over to Europe and we said, Mr. Putin, there's no problem. That was crazy, bad tweeting Trump that did that. And you can have that Nordstrom tube pipeline and Merkel did it. You guys, that was a great thing you did. And oh, by the way, but we don't want that other one. That East Med pipeline coming into Italy with 10 billion, billion uh, cubic feet of natural gas a year for Europe, because it's our friends doing it. It's Israel, it's Cyprus, it's Greece. We don't like those friends. We love our enemies, Vladimir Putin. I'm not being facetious, Jack. That's all true. So they're going to present that. And to who's going to believe that? And then when you throw critical race theory in, and the whole transgendered obsessions and these athletes, and you have all of these wedge issues that break the wrong way for him. And again, I've been saying it for about two years and I thought I've been getting a lot of criticism in private correspondence and stuff, but this guy is going to do to the democratic party, what that McGovern candidacy did, but McGovern wasn't elected. And so this guy was, and he, they got what they want and they're just slowly destroying the country. And then 
I wanted him to succeed, not because I like Biden, but I don't like to go to Home Depot. And I was there again, my little anecdote each week, because I'm still in this laborious process of trying to fix all this ancient wiring. So, Jack, I go into Home Depot and I go at uh, 745 in the morning because there's never any Romex, 250 feet. And so I go in there for the 12-2, a little heavier Romex for, you know, 20 or 15 amp breakers. So I go in there. There's one left. And again, this was $38 two years ago. It's $179. But here's the catch, Jack. It's locked up. The one little thing left. So I wait and wait and wait and wait, wait, wait. Ten minutes later, they finally get the person to unlock it. And so I put it in my basket. And she said, you can't put it in your basket. I said, what? What are you shopping for? I said, that's my business. She said, no, no. When you, I hand you Romex, you have to go directly to the counter and check out with all your things. So I said, I need two switches and I need a junction box. She goes, I will stay right here. You go get them. So I had to go find them, come back. And then she walked me over to the counter and I checked out. I thought this was the Soviet Union. Right. And, then I, get, world. and then I get out with this yellow wire, kind of heavy, and I'm carrying it out. And guess what? A guy comes up to me and says, I need that wire. <laughs> I said, I do too. I said, I'll pay for it. I'll buy it right now from you. And I said, no, it's $180. I can pay a little bit more. I said, there's no more. I'm sorry. There's 14 too. I know I need 12 too. That's what Joe Biden's America is. That, that's inconceivable. Inconceivable. You know, I have a pastime. My wife and I look at movies now. And it's not just, uh, you know, Vertigo or it's 40s movies or and these are movies, not just of wealthy white people in a particular section of New York or it's just just aerial views or moving of movies right. made in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s of our major cities. And it's like it's I feel like, a, you know, I'm I'm a, a guy living in Rome about 470 with grass growing in the forum and viscose everywhere or something. It's just different country. You look right. at these sit, uh, shots of San Francisco just yeah. 20 years ago, and the streets look clean, and everybody's right. happy and busted. Take the it's, San Francisco of Bullet. Yeah, you know, uh, and yeah. New, New York looks like this vibrant city I remember just. So I don't know what happened to the country. Maybe it was the COVID. Maybe it was the paranoia, or maybe it was the hysteria about Trump, or maybe, I don't know what it is, a perfect storm, but we essentially in three years destroyed our major cities. And we destroyed them, Seattle, Minneapolis, San Francisco, Los Angeles, they're destroyed. And they all, and the weird thing about it was all self-induced and it was right. all planned, whether it was not prosecuting crimes or, or the Obama urban policies, or war on the suburb. I don't know what it was, but cheered on by the mayors also. These Soros DAs and these Soros mayors. Yeah. And you know, when Al Sharpton says he's mad at Biden, and I'm thinking, okay, so am I, but you got what you wanted. You were a racialist. You looked at the color of people's skin. You never looked at the content of their character, not with Tawana Brawley, not with a Freddie Fashion Mark, not with anything. You were always a racist. You called, you know, you said those Greeks were homos when all that stuff. I remember it. And I remember it because it's still there today. 
So you got what you wanted. You have more black mayors. They're the majority profiles in all our major cities. You've got black left wing. And I say black, I don't mean black. I mean black left wing. If we had black conservatives in here, these cities would be better than they ever were. But he got what he wanted. He wanted left wing black mayors. He wanted left Soros left wing district attorneys. And he wanted a lot of left wing police chiefs. And he got them all. And now he's mad that he got his wish. And if you're going to vote race, because these cities have majority black populations or near majorities in most cases, had he just said, well, I'm a racialist, so I only want people in office that look like me, but I'm going to get conservatives in there, then I think they would all be running like tops. It would be wonderful. Or, but my right. God, he couldn't do that. So he got what he wanted. He dest- they destroyed the cities. And uh, the only thing that's weird about it are the wealthy, wealthy white people who voted for this, who are racialists themselves, in the sense that they projected that they're so caring and they worry so much about the underclass and poor people of color. And then they live in Pacific Heights or the Upper West Side or, you know, Cambridge, Mass or Pacific Palisades, I said, or Palos Verdes. And they're protected. They have the money, the influence, the power to insulate them from the consequences of the damage they they wrought on everybody else. Well, Victor, I think those elitists, white elitists, will probably today be reading The Atlantic and an essay by Ibram Kendi, which gets to some of the themes you've talked about directly and constantly, I should say, a projection. And we're going to talk about this piece which claims that whites are engaged in grooming white children to become racist right after these important messages. Have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and veggies may actually lower, lower your risk of cancer. Hopefully you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. If not, you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor-selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is found in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. Will Field of Greens prevent, treat, or cure cancer? No, but it's so powerful It promises at your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or your money back. I got you 15% off and free rush shipping. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code VICTOR, V-I-C-T-O-R, for your discount. That's promo code VICTOR at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com. At Just the News, we break the stories others in the media ignore or are too afraid to tell. We did it on Russia collusion, Hunter Biden, and the security and intelligence failures that preceded January 6th. Our stories have real impact and reach because we stick to the facts. I'm John Solomon. You can help me expand our honest, unvarnished, and unbiased reporting by becoming a premium member at Just the News. You'll get an ad-free experience and exclusive member-only access to events. And you'll be helping us dig up more truth. Join today at justthenews.com slash subscribe.
We are back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show. We are recording on the 18th of April, 2022. This program will be aired. The podcast will be up on various websites on the 19th, which is the anniversary of the Battles of Lexington and Concord. I don't think Abram Kendi would be celebrating those battles because you know, those were 1775 and it's a vestige of 1619. That's important to him. So, Victor, while Al Sharpton is talking about these certain realities of, of American life, especially for American Blacks, Ibram Kendi has taken to projection. He has a piece out in The Atlantic. It's called The Danger More Republicans Should Be Talking About. And this has to do with the claim after the Virginia elections, which Glenn Youngkin was elected, which says, you know, the Republican Party is now the party of parents. And we saw the great outcry of of parents in that election, the Virginia gubernatorial elections, furious about how their children were being taught, lack of transparency, et cetera. I'll cut to the chase here with Kendi in this piece. He claims that the Republican Party is the party of white parents, and they are white parents who are grooming their children to become racist. Here's just one quick quote. Kendi is expecting liberals to be focusing on. Here's a quick paragraph. Grooming white kids, usually males, in white supremacy can involve inciting them to commit acts of physical and verbal violence against kids of color, against girls, against Jewish kids, against Muslim kids, against trans kids, Mm -hmm. against queer kids, against other white kids, defending kids against white supremacists. Grooming keeps all kids safe. We need to stop this. Need to stop these parents from being involved in their children's education. Victor, uh, what are your thoughts about Ibram Kendi? Well, I mean, it's pathological, isn't it? So let me just what the academics call unpack what he just said. So let's say he's saying that parents are grooming white boys and to be racist and commit heinous crimes that are racially motivated, unless they are brainwashed at the age of five into his racist, anti-racist program. That's what he's saying. So let's look at the evidence, Jack. So interracial crimes are a vast minority of all crimes, but in most interracial, if not, I'm not talking about civil crimes or white collar crimes or whatever. I'm talking about violent crimes, rape, assault, murder. African-Americans are about four to five times more likely to assault whites than whites are African. That's a fact. The Roland Fryer and others have shown that white police officers are no more likely than black police officers to shoot unarmed black suspects any more than they are white unarmed suspects. Of the 11 million people who are arrested every year, if you look at the people arrested, not just the population, unarmed blacks are shot at no greater percentages in the population than unarmed whites. If you look at hate crimes of all different racial groups, blacks commit the most disproportionate, highest disproportionate percentages of committing hate crimes, especially against Jews. And he mentioned Jews, so I'm mentioning them, Jews and Asian Americans. If you look at the so-called white 67 to 70%, they are less likely than 67 or 70% of the population to commit a hate crime. So when he talks about this, I don't know what he's talking about other than he is a mediocre academic that can't do real research and has got onto this kick that he has marketed a message 
for wealthy white people to feel guilty and, and flood his coffers with money as medieval penance so they don't have to go and do the real work. If you really, really care about black young people, and I think a lot of conservatives do, then you will do things like object to the 750,000 abortions and why the black community is aborting young children at a much higher rate percentage-wise than is the white community. And you would also remember what Ruth Bader Ginsburg said, Jack, when she told that New Yorker reporter, said, why is everybody upset? Aren't they they're aborting basically the, the, the right people. They suppressed that for a long time and it got out. But she inadvertently summed up a lot of the white elite racism on that. The second thing is if you really cared about black families, then you would want charter schools. You would want charter schools. You'd be very suspicious of teachers unions because they're destroying education in the inner city. And you would try to work with black leaders who are ahead of the curve. And they're saying, if we have single parent families and we have 75% of all children are brought up as illegitimate children and one parent households where the parent is not working full time. That's a prescription for disaster. And we all know that, but he's not talking about that because if he were going to talk about that, that would be a lifetime hard work and he wouldn't be a very wealthy man because that message is now conditioned not to be receptive because it's tough medicine. The other thing very quickly is i got to be very careful about this, but everybody's using this word. Have you noticed this, Jack? White supremacy, white privilege, white, white, white. They didn't do that in the sense that Martin Luther King's whole emphasis was on the individual, the content of our individual characters, not the content of our collective skin. But when they collectivize white, what they're basically saying is that Mark Zuckerberg and Bill Gates, Mike Bloomberg and Warren Buffett, and the proverbial white janitor in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and the proverbial, I don't know, handyman in Butte, Montana, they're all in the same group. And they all have white privilege. There's no such thing as class differences. It's only skin color. And more importantly, they're all oppressors. And just as that is absurd, so... The oppressed are collective, too. Oprah's a, a, a victim. LeBron is a victim. Jay-Z's a victim. They're all victims, just like the inner city kid with has no you know, future, no money. But they are victims, too. That's what happens when you substitute race for class. Kendi's a victim. He understands that there's a lot of money in being a victim, dividing the country up into a binary. These are white oppressors. These are non-white. And the person to go back to is Barack Obama that created that I shouldn't say created, recalibrated that banal word diversity. And all that diversity meant is I am now redefining America as white and diverse, white, non-white, multi-million dollar Punjabi immigrant, diverse, multi-million dollar Korean orthodontist, diverse, dirt poor child of the Oklahoma diaspora living in Delano, California, white privilege. That's what they did. And finally, you know, we need to talk about history. Because what the left does, and people like Kendi say, you know, if you're a, an immigrant and you came to the country in 1980 from, I don't know, let's say Yugoslavia or 1990, South Africa or 2000, you came from India or, I don't know, 2010, you came from Peru 
or even if your parents, uh, your ancestry were, you were from Minnesota or Ohio or all of your relatives to the extent they had any contact with race, they were fought on the union side. It doesn't matter because once you cast a check, once you take out a mortgage, you are a cog in the racist wheel. That's what they tell us. That's what they tell us, because the whole idea of repertory admissions is based on historical sin. I understand there was sin of slavery and Jim Crow, but we've lumped everybody in on that. 73 years after the Constitution, just 73 years, everybody, the 1619 Project needs a little historical refreshment. Everybody understood when they signed the Declaration and during the Constitutional Convention that Slavery was the issue and how they could get these 13 colonies together when some of them minority, but some of them were slave owning. And that was adamantly opposed by much of the mid-Atlantic and northern uh, New England states. And yet they were very vulnerable, as we saw in 1812. And so they put that issue and they said, we're not going to adjudicate this violently, but we're going to try to work on it. And they tried to work on it for 73 years yin and yang back and forth but only 73 years after this country was founded they killed 700,000 people of each other the vast majority were white and as i said earlier when you read henry hitchcock's diaries and you go down with the army of the west into deep georgia and you free 40,000 slaves these people didn't i mean america was not america as it now i mean there was no communications there was no easy travel a guy that was living in the woods of michigan or southern minnesota he he never went more than 20 miles from his home he'd never seen an african american people he didn't know what was going on only that somebody showed up in, t- in his little town and said you're going to join the army of the west and here's a blue uniform and he went willingly down there and he burned and burned and burned Hal Cobb's plantation, governor of Georgia, he burned all of these white people's plantations and freed slaves. Okay, and then when they got to Savannah, guess what? They freed them, and probably illegally, I don't know, they gave them 40 acres and islands off the coast of Georgia. And they did it so much that Secretary Stanton came down, and he had heard that some of the freed slaves that they didn't have food for, they were following, obviously they had to follow Sherman's column, but there were some racists among Sherman and they got Sherman in a room and they cross-examined him and they brought in African-American freed slaves who were very supportive of Sherman. But my point is that is impossible in Kendi's mental universe. It doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. We have stimped $20 trillion since the start of the Great Society on reparatory measures, mostly race-based. I spent 20 years working with so-called marginal people, people of color, to give them a competitive education, Greek, Latin, literature and translation, humanities of the Western world, composition skills, not to achieve parity with the so-called wealthier white people on the coast, but to give superiority. Because I thought that I could take almost anyone, Latino, Black, Southeast Asian, and give them an education that would be better if they were willing to do it. And it worked. But my point is, when I did have the occasional poor white, mostly from the southern San Joaquin Valley, and he came into my office and said, I'd love to be a classics professor. I said, I don't think there's a future in it. And he said, 
well, you're one. And I said, I, I went through affirmative action. It's very hard for a white male 30 years ago, but it's worse now. Well, I want to go to law school. I want to go every single situation without exception. I called graduate schools and lobbied for people. I called people I knew. I called chairman. And guess what I heard, Jack? Without exception, we're not really interested in white males. And so he's telling me that all those years, if I had a black or a Latino student, they were being discriminated against. That's not true. That's a factual lie. And if you don't believe me, you should ask Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Stanford to release their admissions records for this 2022, fall of 2022 incoming freshman class. And I have a sneaking suspicion it will not be proportionally representative that Harvard will have about 50% of the student body will not be white, although whites make up about 67 to 70% of the country and their repertory admissions. That is, a white male is not going to get in at 33% of his proportional representation. Forget about test scores, forget about SAT scores or merit. I'm just talking about race. And he's telling me that this is a racist society. I'll tell you what's a racist society. And you know, and one other thing, Jack, I'm on this rant, the Hart Keller Immigration Act of 1965, country was about 90% white. And Philip Hart and Keller with Ted Kennedy and all these very liberal people in the Senate and the House during the Great Society and the aftermath of the Kennedy shooting two years later, they decided that this country was too white. And they knew that if they changed the immigration law to family reunification and they put restrictions on Europe and stuff, they could change the demographic. Now, they did it for political purposes, but they also did it because they weren't racially prejudiced. In other words, they would rather have constituencies that were left wing. They didn't care about their race and they thought they would be doing much better with poor people from Asia, Africa and Latin America than they would be poor people, I guess, from Europe. So my point is this. We got rid of all merit. We got rid of all skill sets and we deliberately tried to change immigration. And they did it with the knowledge that people would support it. And they did. And so they went and, you know, at the founding, we had been about 85% white, 87, if you count Native Americans and African Americans. I'm talking about the resident population. It went up to about 90%, given all the great influxes of the poor people from Sicily, Italy, Eastern Europe that were quite fertile, had large families. But my point is this, within 40 years, the so-called white population is, is, is about 67 to 70%. Okay, my point is this. If you look historically and you look at a population, very rarely in history do you have a dominant majority population to say, you know what? We're going to deliberately change the immigration policies so our relative numbers shrink. Serbians don't do that to let in more Albanians or more Bosnians or Kosovars. Saudi Arabia doesn't say to themselves, you know what, we have a tiny little Shia. We have to make the rules so we have a much more Shia in Saudi Arabia. Nobody does that. But this country did it. So it's very hard to reconcile the idea that this country was innately, as Mr. Kendi says, was racist. It had slavery, yes. It had Jim Crow that was more concentrated in the southern part, but I understand it was insidiously spreading. And we dealt in the logic of the Constitution and Declaration 
in their logical finality, ultimate expression is pretty much an effort to stop the racism and deal with it. And, you know, one final thing, when he says things like this, it trickles down. I got a piece in American Greatness today about it. Trickle down races. Remember that psychiatrist, Jack Kilani? She gave a lecture at Yale University. Right. And she said she had fantasies, you know, shooting somebody with a revolver in the head, a white person. And then she said, you know, I'm going to bury his body and wipe my blood and walk around guiltless with a bounce in my step. And then there's that guy, Damon Young, New York Times. He said, you know, whiteness causes climate. It causes health. It shortens people's lives. It melts the ice caps. It, it, it kills people. So my point is, when Daryl Brooks gets in a car and he goes to Waukesha and he kills six people and runs down 60 more, does that trickle down? Because you look at his social media page, it's all full of BLM and black activism and radicalism. And no sooner did he does that. And a BLM guy, remember, showed up from Milwaukee saying, oh, boy, <laughs> this is the start of the revolution. Smile, smile. Remember that guy? He's on TV all along. Ellie Mistal, black Harvard lawyer. I think his wife is, works for an investment back banker. And he said, you know, COVID's almost over. And I don't think I'm going to want to be around white people. They haven't improved. What's he talking about? Improved genetically? You remember that painter? I'm, I'm kind of searching now. You remember right. that painter that was a presidential painter for Obama? Right. Kehinde Wiley or Willie. He was a guy who took classical Renaissance paintings and like Persis and Medusa and put white people being beheaded. And then when they asked him why he had these graphic anti-white scenes, he said, you know, it's kind of a play on the kill whitey thing, ha ha. And that was the presidential painter. But what I'm saying is I'm not taking isolated examples. I'm taking the presidential official portrait painter said that he was taking off his decapitation motifs as a kill whitey thing. I'm talking about a sophisticated psychiatrist who's giving a formal lecture at Yale Law School. I'm talking about a New York Times contributor. When you get Frank James that goes in a subway, and he's just like Brooks, he's got all of this hate stuff. You get the impression that there's this trickle down. And I, I'm taking this from the left now. They say, remember, words matter. And that the elite had to be very careful because white people insidiously could say things that then white racists would act on. Well, this is what's happening in the black community. The very elite have been using this white, 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 and they either don't know the effect on people that are not unbalanced or marginal, who are hatred, full of hate and racism, but they act on it. And we know they act on it because their social media profiles are full of pure hatred. And when you look at that pure hatred and the violence they inflict on innocent people, it's not illogical when you read people saying that I'm painting pictures on a kill whitey thing or I'm a psychiatrist and I had a bounce in my step when I dream about blowing a white man's head off or when I'm a New York Times you know, guest columnist, and I'm writing about white people killing people and white people heating the planet up. And this is what Kendi's doing, too. And, and how does Kendi trickle down? Trickles down to somebody like Mark Milley getting in front of everybody and saying he's going to root out white plates or Lloyd Austin. And when I heard all that, I said, OK, stop. If this is true, this is a national crisis. So I want data. 
I want data that shows the following white males in the Air Force and the Marines are forming cliques or they've got secret societies of white supremacy. And they're not just talking about white people in the way that Latinos talk about Latinos and blacks talk about. But this is a cell and this is dangerous because if you're blanket calling white supremacy white, and that's the adjective, and you're indicting an entire race in the military, and you have no proof, then you're a racist. And you're a stupid racist because, as I said so many times earlier, you're telling the profile of white males that make up 33%, 35% of the population, and who die at about 75% in combat. You're telling them not to show. And I have another feeling, just like we were not going to get the actual statistics on the Ivy League admissions. I don't think the military is going to start releasing recruitment figures because, boy, when they insult people by race and they act in racist fashion and suggest that all white people in the right. military have to be given a double look to see if they're supremacists, there's going to be multi-generational military families that said, I'm not sending my kid over to a fiasco like Afghanistan to die and then to be, have him under a cloud of suspicion of being erased with a bunch of incompetents who lost that war and gave the terrorist $80 billion. So Mr. Kendi is, he's not the sole agent, but boy, he's responsible for a lot of hatred. Well, Victor, that piece is in the Atlantic. And all that said, you're so entitled to rant, Victor. It's your show. We have to end the show. We're going to wrap it up. But right after these important messages. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson show recording on April 18th. This is being aired on April 19th. We have a couple issues. I'm going to push them over to the next podcast we'll be recording. I just wanted to let folks know that victorhanson.com is a, a place where you should go if you are a Victor fan. And if you're listening to this podcast, I think you qualify. Everything Victor writes is there. Much of what he writes, not much. Victor writes a lot that is exclusive to the website, and you can only read it by subscribing $5 a month, $50 a year. It's well worth it. That's victorhanson.com. If you hang out on Twitter, look at at VD Hanson. That's Victor's handle. He's on Facebook, VDH's Morning Cup. He, of course, he has his own 
account under his own name. There's a great club there, the Victor Davis Hanson Fan Club, independent of anything Victor does, but good people putting up many links of stuff. As for me, hey, subscribe to the thing I write every week, Civil Thoughts. Go to civilthoughts.com, free email newsletter. It's a project of the Center for Civil Society, which I run so, Victor, we really have run out of time, but, you know, I just can't not read, as we do at this point of the show, two uh, comments from folks who have left them on iTunes. If you listen, of course, listen on Google Play, Stitcher, whatever floats your boat. We appreciate that. But folks on iTunes can leave ratings, five-star ratings, we hope. It's only you can give one to five. Please give five for Victor. And some people leave comments. Some people leave questions that we try to get to. Two things, two comments left. One very quick by Crystalline 400, Victor Reminiscences, how I enjoy when Victor speaks about his parents and young adulthood, would love to hear more. I think we're going to try and do that in the next episode and talk about Victor's animus to some birds. And then this is from Essential and Insightful, titled Dreaming of VDH. You know, it's time to message the VDH podcast when you've had four random dreams in terms of hanging out with Mr. Hansen as a friend. They range from taking one of his classes, receiving instructions on how to wallpaper my childhood kitchen, intellectual conversation in my backyard about history, and finally, VDH asking to jump on my dental plan <laughs> while touring the West Coast as he helps edit my book on political philosophy. Clearly a big fan and avid listener. I continue to tell everyone I can about VDH's books, YouTube lectures, and podcasts are essential and insightful. Thank you for all your time and dedication to classical history and contemporary politics. I hope to meet you in person one day. Best, James. P.S. Also great job, Jack and Sammy. Well, I just said that to get Sammy in there. Say, Victor, you're the stuff of dreams. Uh, <laughs> you, you populate people's heads even while they sleep. I think that's pretty funny, pretty cool. So, Victor, that's all the time we have for today. So I want to thank our listeners. A lot of new ones. Again, we're in the top 10 uh, America's uh, political podcast. Thanks to those who are coming here. Share, spread the news, share the, share the website, share the links. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again soon later this week with another episode of the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Thank you for listening. And final piece of advice, when you get up in the morning, treat everybody as a human being, whatever color, whatever religion, whatever age, whatever, just treat them as a human being and stop all of this stereotyping that has been foiced upon us by a bankrupt bicoastal elite. And with that happy thought, <laughs> Amen. Talk to you guys next time. Hey there, it's Amanda Head, and I am thrilled to introduce to you my new exciting podcast, Furthermore, with Amanda Head, broadcasting weekly from sunny Los Angeles, California, and brought to you by the dynamic Just the News Podcast Network. On this fresh and engaging podcast, I delve into the latest news with a little bit of a twist, exploring the furthermore of every story. But this isn't your typical run-of-the-mill news commentary or politically charged program. I interview a diverse range of guests, including business leaders, entertainers, musicians, 
educators, experts, politicians, and many influential figures from both the United States and around the world. So why not make your Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays a little more interesting? Tune in on your preferred podcast platform and discover furthermore with Amanda Head on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And don't forget to hit that follow or subscribe button and be sure to download the latest episodes. I can't wait to have you join me on this exciting journey. Thank you.